Lord, uh, we just thank you for allowing us to get together and, and talk about your word. Uh, this, this whole book is about holiness, Lord, and how we should live. And, and a lot of stuff doesn't apply to us, but many things within this book does. And, and we pray that you help the, uh, have the Holy Spirit help us weave this through in life to, to figure out that you are holy and that's what you want out of us is holiness as much as possible with the help of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we're going to mess up and knowing that we come to you and we ask for forgiveness. And I uh, pray that you uh, work with us tonight and, and help us learn something about you maybe that we didn't know before. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, can you turn Grayson's iPad down just a couple of notches for me? Okay. Hey, Grayson, she's going to turn down your iPad just a little, okay? I don't know why he can't sit through a 45-minute lesson. I just, he's six. I mean, come on. Just one or two. Not a whole bunch. Okay. Okay, let's see. I make sure I'm starting the recording. And yes, I need to put the others online, but I'm going to start it. Okay. So any questions about uh, Exodus from last week? From anybody here? Anybody online? Any questions? Okay. Well, then we'll go on to Leviticus. Um, what are, you know, right now I want to start out with the, the timeline overview, and I put this up last week. So if you look at the, the large screen for those that are online, um, you can see that we have Genesis, Exodus, and then really Leviticus and Deuteronomy interrupt the story in many ways. And somebody did, I think somebody just showed up. Oh, oh, excellent. We just started. You're going to have to pray for us now. I'm joking. We just already prayed. Come on in, guys. <laughs> so we literally just started. We got to the first slide. So, um, so really, Leviticus interrupts the story uh, in many ways. Um, but uh, this book is all about holy living. And every time I hear the word holy, every time I see the word holy, it reminds me of a friend who worked as a florist. Um, her and her husband, um, a wonderful couple. They were young and in love and had a baby out of wedlock and got married and raised their children. And they are wonderful Christian children. Uh, they raised them right. They jumped in the ministry. She didn't hide what happened in her past. She said, look, this is how I messed up. And she actually came in a part of my ministry and helped other young girls and talked to them about her, what she did and said, don't make this mistake. So it's kind of cool how we can use our past to help others on their path. Um, so it was really cool. And her and her husband, they live in uh, Colorado. And uh, luckily, they didn't steal me away. They tried to at one point, uh, tried to get me to go to Longmont and, and work as a youth pastor at a large church there. But I stayed in this area. But um, the, the story was this. She had a, she had a Hindu um, boss, okay? And if you know anything about Hindus, what do they worship? Cows. They literally worship cows. They take care of cows. You, if a cow comes strutting down the road, everybody has to stop and get out of the way. I mean, it's, they revere them, okay? Well, this boss of hers would just, every time she got upset, she'd just go, Jesus Christ, you know, in a very derogatory way. And we don't talk about Jesus that way. And Donna would be like, 
you know, please, could you please stop that? That kind of offends me. And Donna, you know, she, so after several weeks, Donna finally just one day had enough of it. And every time something happened, she'd go, holy cow. And holy cow. And she said all day long, I said, holy cow. Now, it's not as offensive, you know, but the, I, I think the boss finally got it and she stopped doing it. Um, her boss wasn't happy, but got the point. Um, so every time I hear the word holy, I, I think of that sometimes. That, and I think of the Lahu singing on the back. Uh, uh, I'm going to run this for you. You know the song, Holy, Holy, Holy? The Lahu used to come in and worship with us, and they would sit on the back row a lot of times, and, and three ladies would sit back there, and they would sing, and they were beautiful in their way. You know, I don't have the greatest voice. They sing differently than we do. They come from a different country, different language, all that. So um, they would sing, Holy, 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 and they would say, Ho-wee, Ho-wee, Ho-wee because of the way their mouths work and, and pronunciation. So it ruined the song for me, because every time we sing it, that's what I think of. Um, so that, that's what I think of when I think of holiness. Not really, but, you know, it kinda, it's kind of funny. But th- this is the book of, of Leviticus, and there, there are some things that we will understand out of this book, and you read and you go, hey, I kind of get that. And there's things that you're sitting there going, okay, why is that even in there, and it's not even explained really? So why, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we just don't get it. But there are three main themes throughout the book of Leviticus. Uh, the first is the, um, the, the law, okay, and this is where it, it expounds upon the Ten Commandments that Moses carried down and got upset and threw and broke and, and all that that we talked about last week. It expounds upon that. Um, and then the second part or the second main theme is sacrifice, and explains all the sacrifices, okay? And then the third is holiness, as we just talked about. So a lot of times we will ignore this book because we don't relate to it. I mean, how many, I'm, I'm not going to ask you if you read through it, but if you did read through it, I mean, it's one of those things of, it's not riveting reading, you know what I'm saying? And then we read stuff and we go, well, we don't even do that anymore. So we just kind of ignore it because it doesn't relate to us. We don't offer sacrifices for sin anymore. We're not beholden to the law like they were beholden to the law. And it seems to interrupt the flow of of the first five books, the Pentateuch, uh, the story of God's people. But I think it's actually in the perfect place. I mean, of course, God put it in the perfect place. So therefore, I think it's in that. But, but really, I do, because the book shows how important the relationship is with God by showing us to what great lengths God is going to to help preserve that relationship and to keep it. And therefore, we should try to do the same as we relate back to God. Leviticus through Numbers 10 interrupts that flow. It's like an intermission, uh, intermission, uh, I can't even say the word. Um, uh, you, you get my point. Uh, intermission, thank you. Uh, but it's important for us to understand because we have the personal, we have the priestly, we have the, the national holiness that is necessary to the history and the story of God's people and the reason for the Savior. Okay, yes. I have a great question. Mm-hmm. No, she, <laughs> oh, Lisa, you're making notes. Here, they're all talking to each other. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's good. 
So it, it, it pops up. Was that already up or did with that pop up when there was a chat? Okay. So that's a good point. If you have a, uh, if you have a question out there, um, the teacher that's sitting on the couch will notice, put it in chat and raise your hand and they will tell me. That's a good point. So yeah, no, no, that works out fine. <laughs> this is necessary to the story of Valley Christian Church like the law was forgotten. Okay, anyway, so all around Israel at this point, all the neighboring um, um, peoples, the Canaanites and all the Ites, the Perizzites and uh, all, all the different Ites, every nation practiced sacrificial worship, okay? Animal sacrifice was common to the area. Uh, even many terms that they use, the, the terms that Israel would use for sacrifice and so forth uh, concerning the temple and different things were the same terms that were used in many of the other uh, people groups. Uh, these sacrifices allowed fellowship with God uh, for the Israelites. We'll, we'll concentrate on them. We'll talk about some of the others here in a second. But for the Israelites, these sacrifices allowed fellowship with God. They appeased God for our sin, and they asked for continuance of divine favor. So many different people groups follow these type of sacrifices, but there's major differences between Israel and those others. Um, superficial ones like burning the sacrifice was obvious. Um, you know, Israelites would burn it completely. Some of the other cultures, they would actually just cook it and then take it off and eat it. Okay, so it's more of a barbecue than a sacrifice. I mean, you know, at least in a Texan's uh, point of view, you know, but there are some bigger ones. First off, as we learned in Daniel, the world would sacrifice animals to see the future. Okay, what is God trying to tell me? So they would sacrifice an animal. They would cut it open. Uh, they would look at the, the liver. And if it had this many things, as we talked about several weeks ago in, in, uh, in Daniel, that they would uh, uh, figure out what, what it was trying to say. Or they would cut open the animal, they would throw it up in the air, and they would, I mean, when they say cut it open, I mean, like, cut it open completely, you know. They would throw the animal up in the air, and when it came down, splat, hit the ground, then they'd go around, and they would move different stuff, and they would read it, okay. They would do this with entrails or intestines and different, I hate to get gross, but I'm just, everybody, anybody, the movie Robin Hood, Kevin Costner, Robin Hood. Do you remember the witch in the movie where she does that with the entrails? And all? Okay, nothing's changed, okay? People have done that throughout society all the way through. Um, they would figure out what their little God was trying to tell them. The second big uh, difference is Israel linked their sacrificial system to a covenant relationship with God. It was about a relationship uh, more than anything else, especially when it was constructed around the temple or the tabernacle in Exodus 40, all the way through Numbers 10. No other society had a relationship with their God, their little G God, uh, like Israel did. Uh, they just did it to appease their God. Please um, find favor on us. Don't kill us. You know, the, the negative aspect where Israel was about keeping the positive relationship with God. And the third difference is Israel had a unique sense of holiness that others didn't. Their ethics didn't just come from human ethics. You know, there's, we can all understand we should not kill, right? I mean, that's, 
Pretty simple. I try to get my kids uh, their video games that they play and stuff. They don't do first-person shooter games. I just, no. You know, I, I don't want that mindset as in that is normal, you know. Um, and, but, I mean, so there's certain human ethics that we have, but Israel's ethics were based on God's ethics. You see the difference? Where's, what is God's standard? It's not my standard. And we see this getting backwards today uh, a lot in the church. We see a lot of churches sitting there going, well, these are our ethics, and they're ignoring the Word of God. They're ignoring what God says is right and wrong. And they're saying this is, what, uh, this is what we believe. And it's contrary to the Bible. Oh, well, that Bible does, that doesn't pertain to us anymore. God is love. Uh, yeah, God loves you. Uh, he doesn't want you to go to hell, but He will allow you to take yourself there if, if you want to go that way. He doesn't want that, you know. But their sacrifices centered around these ethics, and no other nation had this. So the book of Leviticus is named after the Levites. You have the descendants of, Levi's, uh, of Levi. He's one of the 12 sons of Abraham. And they chose the Levites or Levi to be the priest. And Aaron's family, uh, Le- Le- Levi and Aaron, and all that, Aaron's family would be the ones that would be the, the ones that would sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, and then you would have all the extended family that went out from that, all the other little families. They would take care of different parts of the temple and different grounds all the way back to remember uh, Zechariah. I think it's Zechariah. We always tell around the Christmas time the story, Zechariah and uh, oh, what is her name? Is it? Huh? Anna and uh, no, no, where where they meet uh, baby Jesus. And they basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, he, he had been picked at an old age to be a part and be at the temple. That's why he was around at that point and, and so forth. Um, Simeon, thank you, thank you. I should have talked to the, you know, the ones that were, yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. It was Simeon. So, you know, there, there's different ones that are picked at different times and, and so forth. Uh, and I may be getting my two stories mixed up. I'm going to have to go back and look at that and get it straight in my head, you know. But anyway, the book is like an instruction manual for the Old Testament priest, okay? The Hebrew actually means, and he called. Okay, the Levites were called to this. And he's showing them proper worship. Uh, you know, don't go out there and act like every other nation. Don't be like the Babylonians, as we're learning in Daniel. Don't be like the Canaanites. Don't be like all the different uh, people and nations that are out there. Let's do this right. So Exodus, it emphasized where to worship, how to build the temple. Here's the walls. Here's how long. Here's where the curtain goes. Here's everything that goes in the temple. Where Leviticus deals with how to worship. And it deals with the different uh, regulations of the various types of sacrifices that we'll, we'll go over here in a second. And it goes on to deal with cleanliness and holiness, okay? Some of these things, this is where we get where they don't eat uh, shellfish, right? Is it shellfish they don't eat? I think that's what it is because they're bottom feeders. They eat the junk of the ocean, okay? Today, we're not under that regulation. We can eat shellfish, Back then, they didn't have refrigeration, did they? No. Shellfish contain what? Different diseases. 
We know how to cook it. We know how to we know how to refrigerate it so it doesn't turn bad and all that. So some of these laws were practical laws of this is how you stay clean and not die. <laughs> you know, um, there, there's two chapters all about funguses. If you get a fungus and you get a spot, a red spot, and it turns white and the hair turns white and all this kind, you go to the priest. And if you've read through it, you're sitting there going. <laughs> Wow, this is very detailed for a fungus in two chapters, you know. But it was about cleanliness and holiness and keeping, uh, I don't want to say the purity, because that's the wrong word of the Hebrew people. I don't mean the purity of the uh, Hebrew people in that sense, but it kept others from getting sick. That's kind of how I'm trying to use the word purity at that point. So, well, let's move on. So it's split up into, and if I can get this to work. Oh, sorry, guys, I skipped uh, Okay, there we go. Do you want me to go back to the other one? Does anybody want to? Not sacrificing for our sake. Israel linked sacrifice to the covenant relationship with God. And holiness was about God and not themselves. Okay, that's kind of uh, uh, the direction we're headed. And it's split up into, uh, into different sections. Chapters 1 through 7, you have five types of acceptable sacrifice. Uh, 8 through 10, you have the conditions for the priest and the rules that they had to follow. 11 through 16, you had conditions on the people, everything that they needed to do before they brought a sacrifice and how they brought a sacrifice and what they did with that sacrifice and how, you know, the blemish, whether it had a blemish or no blemishes, whether it was male or female, all those different things on there. And chapter 17 through 27 is all about the holiness. It's called, kind of called the holiness code. It's instructions for right living, uh, becoming holy. And once you become holy, how to stay holy. And any worship that tolerates wrong living is not worship. And I think, again, this is where a lot of the churches go wrong. Because they're sitting there going, well, we're going to worship. We're going to ignore this part of God's word. And what's happening is that's not acceptable worship to God when we get that way. Now, there's a difference between not understanding um, yeah, it's like sin. I think, well, I have this in my notes for a little later. There's knowing sin. I know that I sinned. And then there's sin that you accidentally do. And there's a special word for it I have in my notes or whatever. Uh, but uh, there's a difference between those two things. God is, God will forgive us. And, well, I mean, he'll forgive us of anything, but God is more tolerant of we didn't know and we sinned. And when we realize it, we repent versus I'm just ignoring God's word. I know what God says about this subject, but I'm still going to continue to say that is correct and that is right and that is God. And God is not tolerant of that. Okay, uh, I think he comes down a little harder on us. So um, those are the four kind of different sections. So the first seven chapters deal with acceptable sacrifices. And we have five different types of sacrifices. One is the burnt offering. This is the animal is completely burnt. Um, there are some burnt offerings that the priest can actually put two prongs into the, the, the meat before it is um, sacrificed. And that would be the meat that the, the priest could actually eat. But there are other burnt offerings that the priest weren't supposed to take anything and it's completely burned for the Lord. And the animal was always male. It was not supposed to have a blemish. And the smoke would rise to God, okay? 
Um, in fact, you'll hear me uh, pray that, that hoping that our, our worship is a sweet fragrance to the Lord. It's kind of the same concept of, of this rising to God. And, and depending on your finances would depend on the type of animal sacrifice that you uh, would have. Okay, not trying to put people in different classes, but if you couldn't if you couldn't afford the top meat, the top animal to be sacrificed, the Lord allowed you to bring other animals depending on where you were in your life because he didn't want to leave anybody out. Um, So that's what you had. Um, And then secondly, you have the grain offering. Uh, Some people call this a cereal offering, but when we say cereal, we think of morning cereal let me cheerios or whatever you eat you know um so i like to say grain offering it's a gift offering okay this is an extra burnt offering as a gift to god and many times the priest would take actually more grace and don't make a lot of noise over there okay um the many times the priest could take a lot more of this offering compared to the meat offering okay so a larger portion of the the grain offering would actually go to the priest they were allowed to, this is how the, the priests lived, because they weren't allowed to go out and have other jobs. So that offering was split up amongst the priest, and many times, and a little bit of it was burnt to the Lord. And then you have a peace offering, and this is a basic form of offering, uh, oftentimes brought on, on feast days, a celebration. If you know anything about Israel, about every seven weeks, they're supposed to have a big celebration of one kind or another. Sometimes those celebrations are a one-day, two-day feast. Sometimes it's a whole week of feast, and uh, it's a celebratory offering consumed by humans. In other words, it's kind of like our meals that we come around, we join each other, you know, like our Thanksgiving, we come together. And this was an offering to the Lord, but then it was consumed by the people and whatever was left over, uh, or a portion of that was uh, paired with a burnt offering uh, that was consumed by the Lord. So this is where you bring, you know, your grain offering along with the breads and all that that you would make. And that would, you would share with everybody. And then part portion of that would go onto the sacrifice to be, um, to be burnt for the Lord. So there's three basic types. There's a Thanksgiving sacrifice. There's a vowed sacrifice. This is where somebody comes and makes a vow before the Lord, and that's very important because the Lord holds you to that. Um, and then a free will offering. That's just a, you're an amazing God here. This is what I give to you, okay? And those are the first three that were the most common offerings. The next two were more about sin, both willful sin and inadvertent sin, okay? And again, this is what we were talking about a little earlier. You had the, the sin offering, which is the fourth one, for offenses against God. And it, this was, uh, it emphasized the act of purification. And then you had the guilt offering. It's kind of a subcategory of the sin offering, um, but devoted to restitution and reparation for your sin. So once you made these offerings, you were forgiven for your offenses, right? Yay. So every year they would have the atonement and the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and offer the blood sacrifice, okay, onto the altar. And I'll mention that here in a second. But everybody's sin in Israel was forgiven at that moment. Israel was totally 100% clean at least for the next 10 minutes before somebody sent. You know what I'm saying? And then Israel was done for again, and it would have to be a whole other year before Israel would do that. And we're going to relate that to Christ here in a few minutes. So 
you go on and it goes to chapters 8 through 10. And this gets to the ordination and installation of the priesthood. What happens when the priest doesn't live up to his role, what you're supposed to do? How do you hold him to uh, his feet to the fire? Um, unholy fire can be involved in this. Not sure exactly what it is, but uh, N- uh, Nadab and Abihu or Bahu um, in chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, two of, I think, Aaron's sons, if my memory is correct. Um, I don't know if they were drinking before they went in with the Lord, but I know soon after that, a regulation was put into the word of God saying, uh, you should not drink anything fermented before you go in before the Lord. So I don't know if they were drunk when they went in or what, but holy fire or unholy, whichever one you want to call it at this moment, came out and consumed them. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, and then we go on to chapters 11 through 16, and this is the distinction between the clean and unclean, the practical everyday issues, food, childbirth. We talked about skin diseases and fungus diseases, food restrictions. Originally, we were all supposed to be vegetarians. It's hard for me to swallow that being from Texas, okay? <laughs> go out to my refrigerator right now. I got pork belly out there ready to go on the smoker i got two briskets i'm fixing to cook for a friend for somebody's birthday party (laughs) don't know whose that would be um (laughs) and uh you know but we were supposed to be vegetarians and then um but there was a uh, you know but after the flood god uh, god allowed meat to be eaten and praise the lord he changed his mind on that you know but there's a difference between clean animals and unclean animals and you can go read all about that some because they carry diseases we talked about the the shellfish uh pork carries a lot of diseases if you don't handle it right you can get very sick you can get worms from pork and all that kind of stuff um so part of it was just practical reasons other people groups got sick and they died at a young age why because they were eating raw meat. They weren't even cooking it in some instances. I know, we just go, Ugh, you know. But there's certain th- certain ways they didn't tr- they didn't treat it like we do. We have I don't want to say we have science now, but we know a lot more now than they did back then. God was protecting them. So, um there were certain reasons for some of this. They didn't have refrigeration. Um some was because you weren't allowed to eat this because it was all associated with pagan worship. And God says, I don't want you guys any, anywhere near that, so just leave it alone, okay? So, uh, you know, there are certain regulations about uh, different things like the blood of animals, okay? What happens if blood is spilt? What, what do you do before the sacrifice, not to get, because we have young ears around, not to get too into it, but I mean, they would, there's a certain way to drain the blood out of the animal for its sacrifice, because blood is... We, we, equip, we equate blood with life, okay? And God also did that in many ways. So the animal had to be drained before it was... I mean, there was all these different rules. And again, uh, you can go read a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't want to do that with them here. But, but uh, then you have the Day of Atonement that we, ask, uh, that we talked about earlier, that the only day that the high priest was permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago where they had to have bells on the bottom of the garments because a couple of times they went in not pure and they had to be yeah i don't i don't know did they stay in there until the temple was moved and then they got the body out did, did the next high priest go in and get the body i you know or was it consumed like like aaron's two sons i i don't know 
but I just know that they finally tied a rope around the leg and put bells on, you know. Um, so they would enter that. So for us as Christians, we don't have a lot of these regulations because we have a new high priest that took the place of the whole thing. So as Christians, we don't need a day of atonement. Uh, the original high priest would, would take the blood from what we call the scapegoat, uh, you know, and sprinkle it on the ark that paid for our sins. Well, once Christ died on the cross, that paid for our sins forever, okay? But does that mean that we just ignore the holiness aspect of how we're supposed to live? No, it doesn't. That means we actually have a responsibility to ask the Spirit to help us in our walk with holiness and becoming more like God because we have greater freedom now to be like God because we don't have a law hanging over our heads. We're not having to worry about it. Uh, I don't know if you're a constant worrier. You don't have to worry about those things. It's not held over your head. So chapter 17 through 27 is the holiness code, how we should live, how we should treat each other. So the sum up the three themes in Leviticus. One, you have the law. So what do we do with the law when it comes to Christians? Well, a lot of times we try to distinguish, uh, distinguish between moral law, civil law, and ceremonial law in the Old Testament. You know, the Ten Commandments are moral laws, right? Laws dealing with the, the Old Testament society are civil laws. Sacrificial laws deal with the ceremonial stuff. In the New Testament, Jesus affirmed the Ten Commandments, and the rest of the laws, Christians just kind of sweep under the rug, right? I mean, in many ways, that's why we don't really study the book of Leviticus. We don't really talk about it that often. But I don't think we should quite look at it that way, because some laws are both civil and moral, right? Some laws are, are both moral and ceremonial in the things that the Lord asks us to do in our worship with the Lord. If Paul says all scriptures are useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, then what do we do with this book? I believe that some of these laws are broad and generally intended for all societies, okay? Um, our sin is covered, so we should try with the help of the Holy Spirit to live righteously, to live a holy life, but for their ceremonial laws, they don't necessarily apply to us, right? I mean, we don't go in and offer a burnt sacrifice, but we do sacrifice in giving to the Lord out of our finances, right? It's this type of sacrifice, okay? So we can equate some of these laws to how we should live. Uh, many of the civil laws we have on the books today are the same as back then. You know, like I said, I mean, the obvious one, don't kill, you know. What happens if you steal? You know, all those things. I mean, those are basic laws that, that cover time, right? Then there's other parts of the law that, that non-Christians won't, uh, won't care about, but they still apply to us and how we should act on a daily basis, how we should treat one another. And if we learn about the Old Testament, we learn about the Old Testament laws, what we're really learning is God's intentions and about God's relationship, the links that he went to have a relationship with us. And I think that's really important for us to understand. Um, I don't think we need to go through and look at each exact law and say, does this, does this apply to me right now? 
um, you know, from a legalistic standpoint, I, I think that's getting carried away. The Old Testament still applies to us in many ways in various contexts that the moral, because the morals of God haven't really changed, have they? No, our God's the same as yesterday, as he is today, as he is tomorrow, you know. So it's the same. Um, but Jesus summed up the Old Testament law in two things, right? Love God and love others. That's the law summed up. Love God, love others. If we follow these two things, then we should be doing well. Those are the two sacrifices that we make, right? In a sense, that's our sacrificial offering, to love God and to love others. You know, there's five different types of sacrifices that we went over, and the New Testament asserts that the death of Jesus Christ is now the sacrifice that's atonement for our sin. So it's sufficient for all of us now so that we respond to Jesus. And in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. His sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice to bring us to the Lord. And that's an amazing thing. So Christ's death replaced the need for the temple. And this is why the Lord allowed it to be destroyed 2,000 years ago. To the point where, where literally they, uh, if you see these rocks down here, these rocks were on top of the wall. This is the top of the temple. Okay, and if you look at a picture of the, the temple today, I don't know if it's on the next slide. I'll show it to you in a second. It's got a whole bunch of little bricks up top because they rebuilt it with little bricks because what happened was the Romans pushed all the rocks off onto the ground here, and literally what they were doing is they were burning it, and this is literally ash marks that's still on the rocks. They were burning it because they burnt the temple on accident. The Roman government said, don't destroy the temple. Why? Well, it was covered in gold. You had a lot of precious metal in that. They burned the temple. The temple was burning. It melted all that. It got so hot, it melted it. And all that stuff was coming out, what? In the rocks. And then when it hit the cold rocks, what happened? It solidified. So what did they do? They went and pushed the rocks off. And if you go back to this one, this picture, you can see the street, how it's dented in. That's from the rocks being pushed off and hitting the ground, and it dented it. These things are heavy, okay? They're small ones, but when I say small ones, I'm talking about, you know, four foot by four foot by four foot, you know, and then there's huge ones also um, that someday I'll show you some pictures. But uh, this is amazing. Now, what happened, the reason why they rebuilt it with little rocks was because Look at all this rock here and all this. This has been dug down because this is where street level was when they started digging. So society just basically put rubble and stuff on top of all this because they couldn't move it. And they just leveled it off and built a new home. And then when Jerusalem was destroyed again, what happened? They leveled it off, built another home. And it kept going up and up and up. Right here, this up here, what you can see, that's the bridge up top that goes up to the Temple Mount. That is controlled by the Muslim authorities, okay? So you have to go through the Muslim authorities to actually go on top of the Temple Mount 
and that's where the the two mosques or that's where the mosque are on the dome of the rock um, is, is up there also but I think it's the al Aska Mosque, if my memory is al I can't pronounce it, but one of the mosques up there. Um, but that's modern day, that's where the, the level is. On the other side of that, they've dug down just like this, and that is the welling wall, where the Jews will come and, and worship and pray and all that. that. The last week I showed you the scroll um, that they would put in the special cabinet and all that, that the Torah that they would bring out and they would read and all that kind of stuff. That's on the, literally on the other side of this. They left that. I don't know why they left that, but they did that. And they've dug down on this side and they dug down on the other side. They've even gone further on the other side of the Welling Wall down. They have tunnels all the way down to the bedrock where the temple actually began. And there's rocks wider, or I say rocks, quarried rocks the boulders that they built the temple with where the cornerstones and all that are it wider than this room okay i mean huge and so forth but they literally destroyed the temple to get to that and i went off on a tangent but uh but this is why god allowed the the temple to be destroyed because it was no longer needed now in end times that temple is going to be rebuilt it can be rebuilt almost immediately i think i've mentioned that here in the very first session, um, they have everything ready to go into the temple, okay? Remember, the temple doesn't have to be brick. They did it, the first temple was made out of uh, animal hide for the sides, okay? So they can, they can have the temple up almost immediately when they get up there on the temple mount in the end time. So let me, let me just tell you, that overall, I kind of told you the three themes of the book but this is the ultimate theme for the book and it's this be holy oh, 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 oh there we go be holy for i am holy we see this all throughout the book 1144 19 to 27 and 20 26 and, and, and it's kind of almost implied all the way through the book and we see this in ephesians we see this in multiple places where god is saying be holy for i am holy god cannot have unholiness come to him i say praise the lord god sees me through the prism of jesus christ and the blood that was sacrificed because i am unholy just like you are but i can get to god i can go straight to god because he sees me differently and holiness is not just an Old Testament issue. God asks us to live in that tradition of holiness. And, and holiness is not a time frame. It's all of our lives. In many ways, the book of Hebrews uh, shows us the importance of Leviticus. If you read through the, the book of Hebrews, you see a lot of Leviticus in there. The idea of reverence and worship. And, and I agree that sometimes we need, to, we need to be more expressive in our worship. But there's also a reverence that comes along with that worship. We don't need to be up running around the sanctuary and screaming and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I've mentioned this before. I went to a church where, where we had people who, who worship. They love the idea of expressive worship. So they would do some flags and some different stuff. But that would be done in the back of the sanctuary. And they had a little area and they would do it. But it wasn't coming through the whole audience and, and, and causing a disturbance, Okay. Uh, you didn't get up in the middle of a sermon and run around when you're teaching God's word. There was a reverence to God's word. Um, uh, I, I've been to one church uh, here with people who literally, 
the pastor is in the middle of preaching. They get up and they run around the whole sanctuary and come back and sit back down. And they happen to sit on the front row. And I'm like going, what do you think? It was? I, I just, I was dumbfounded, you know. Yes, Ken. They're saying preach it, brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Our African American people that we just love here—they put us to shame the way they. Yeah, they do. They have. When I was in Africa, I mean, the, the ladies that, uh, and the men too, but especially the ladies. And Lisa would tell you about this. When we were at the church and, and just working away and stuff, they just start dancing. I'm not going to try to dance, but they, they, they have a beat in them, and they just start dancing, and they just start singing, and you're just sitting there going, wow. I mean, that's what it really does. I think we ought to be more expressive in that. I think we ought to, I mean, it's in many ways it's sad that our building's not full of people. I mean, I, I just, I wish it was full of people. I wish we had to have multiple services and all that going on. It's sad, especially when I think back to when we were in Angola. We were at this little church in the middle of this neighborhood that, I mean, poor as poor can get. Uh, we put in a nice uh, flat floor for them. Uh, we tiled it. We built some uh, benches. For them to worship on you know they, they didn't have anything to sit on so we built benches for them with backs and all this kind of stuff put it all in the church the first day the or that next sunday before we left the, the church is just packed full of people no place to sit and this old man that could hardly walk comes in and, and during worship and he's just he walks all the way to the front and he's looking around and he he finally looks uh, he doesn't find anything he goes out front finds a cinder block, comes in and brings it and sets it by the front row and sets on it. Okay, now what I didn't tell you is that cinder block was broken and it was curved down like this. But he sat on that crooked cinder block because that's how much passion he had to come to worship the Lord. And then I think of sometimes how I enter church to come worship the Lord. Because a lot of times I'm in task mode, you know. You know, it puts us to shame sometimes. It really does. We should be thinking about holiness. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about, is that holy, uh, holiness. Uh, we need to have a purity in our lifestyle. Uh, we need to have this need for forgiveness. Um, I think all of this is relevant for today. They had the need for forgiveness, and they had to bring that sacrifice. All we have to do is pray to our Lord, and we still don't do it. You know, so we need to we need to get back to those type of, of things. Uh, I, I think we could learn from this book if we studied it more. So any any questions for tonight? Anybody want to raise a hand or put a question in chat? I'll have to look up there. Hey, there's one. They're probably saying hello or goodbye or. It was from Lisa. Sorry, this was. <laughs> okay oh one new message hi my wife is funny isn't she okay well if there's no questions we are going to go on to the book of numbers next week um, if you have questions about numbers read it if there's any of those questions that you don't understand ask about them next week or wait no 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 i'm sorry you're supposed to do leviticus this week okay
So go through and, and uh, read, you know, answer any of the questions or whatever, study this book, and then we'll go on to numbers next week and, if, uh, and we'll go from there. So does that sound good? Yeah. To coattail on to what Tim just said is uh, way back when I was really young, my grandfather was the worship leader, uh, choir leader, because it was a very small church as well. And uh, he and another uh, uh, worship leader from an African-American church swapped one weekend. Mm-hmm. And, this is, and it made such a big impression on me, because as you were saying, they're up there dancing, they're singing, they're hallelujah and all. And that really made a big impression. It was the most fun I ever had in church. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we probably ought to do that sometime. Again, I've tried to, I've tried to encourage through TAC, Tulare Association of Churches, to do a, okay, I'm going to preach on this this Sunday. And then in the middle of my sermon go, you know what? Pastor so-and-so makes a good point about that. And then have a video of him speaking for the next five minutes, talking about whatever subject that we're talking about from a different viewpoint. I've tried. I'm like, it's like pulling teeth to get some of these guys to do something like this. I'm like, come on. I mean, how cool would this be? Because then it gives us a sense of we're all in this together, you know, uh, the unity aspect. And I mean, Tulare's come a long way in many of those ways of coming together and worshiping together. Um, uh, when did you guys move here? Back in June. Okay, so you don't even know about this. Um, we have what's called, tele- before um, before COVID hit, we were doing Tulare United, where we would come together about four times a year, and all the churches would get together, and we would go, to, uh, we'd use the larger facilities, First Baptist, uh, uh, Tulare Community Church, and Living Christ Church is uh, the main three that we would use. And we would all come together and worship together and have somebody speak for the night. And very generic, we don't go into all the nuances, and we just kind of forget about all the differences. And Jesus Christ is our foundation, let's come together and worship together. Um, so I'd like to go the next step on some of that stuff, so we'll see what, what happens on that. So, Well, um, give you a heads up, I have not heard back from Lior in Israel about doing some videos. I mean, originally he said, yes, I'm going to do some, but we haven't... Uh, we haven't solidified anything yet, so hopefully that, that will uh, happen. If there's any particular Israeli site that you would like to know more about, I've taught on like 30 different cities um, in Israel, and we kind of hit what happened in those cities and, and showed a lot of pictures from those. Uh, but I'd really like to get it from Lior, but if that doesn't work out, maybe we'll kind of introduce like, Oh, well, this is where the, the pigs ran off the cliff. And let's talk about Corazin and, and different things that happened there and show a few pictures and stuff. And just take five to seven, maybe 10 minutes at the very beginning to, to do some of that. So we'll see where it goes on that. So, well, why don't we pray as we finish up? Lord, we are so thankful that, uh, that you are the same God. You're the same God as yesterday, as today, and, and forever, Lord. And, and I pray that we understand your holiness that coming before you is a privilege and that you allow that to happen because we're, we're pure in Christ's eyes. We're white as snow. You see us differently than the world sees us. You see us differently than we see ourselves. I pray, Lord, that we can understand that more, that we can understand how holy you are and that we would strive to live well, not to, to live up to the standard that, that we can't attain, but, but this idea of living for you, that you would be glorified in our actions and our attitudes and, and our decisions, that everything we would do would be about you uh, as we live our everyday lives. It can influence people and bring them into the kingdom and into the fold that one day they would be with you like we will be. 
Again, we just thank you for tonight, and we pray that you continue to, to protect our church and protect our people and to watch over us. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. 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 You guys have a great night.